Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We've come to our fifth lesson of our second quarter of 2022, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited to reveal that we now have the Look actual that. copies of the quarterly, and we can tell you definitively the title is Genesis, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what's contained in the content. It's all about Genesis, basically story by story, right through the book. That's right. So where are we in our well, study this week? <clears throat> when I was preparing... For this lesson, it picks up in Genesis 9, goes through Genesis 11, mm-hmm. and uh, I started and I thought, this sounds awful familiar. Well, it, it's, we covered it last week, and so this week we're starting in Genesis, <clears throat> pardon me, Genesis 9 in verse 18. Okay. And then we go on through the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Okay, so again, very straightforward, very clear mm-hmm. piece of scripture, and so we're going to have a good time studying this out. But before we do any study of God's word, of course, let's begin with a word of prayer. Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to spend together. And thank you for the scriptures that we're studying this week. Please help us to understand them as they were originally written and the stories they convey. But Lord, apply those scriptures in our lives and in our Sabbath school classes. Let it be a living, dynamic experience and encounter truly with Jesus. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Pastor Howard, take it away. What are our talking points this week? Well, what are we looking at? This lesson. was a little bit there was a little bit of a challenge because a bulk of the lesson is about the Tower of Babel. Okay. And of course the Tower of Babel, as we're going to go into in our lesson here, was built uh the the, the Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon was built on those ruins. Mm-hmm. And in Old Testament scripture the word Babylon and ba- uh, Babel are the same word. Okay. Um and so, so there's a lot involved. There. Well, we know the end time scenario mm. and that's that, you know, so there's a lot that could be said about that. But the lesson brings up some other key pieces that we're going to, you know, so then to try to squeeze that all in. <laughs> so there's a lot Apparently, just in that. Yeah. Uh, as you studied for next week's lesson, it contains a little of the application. It of does touch end on time Babylon. Babylon. So I may um, urge the. Uh, teachers that, like myself, would want to delve more into that, not to not get into some of those end-time applications, but there's also going to be opportunity next right. week. Right. You can do a little this week, a little next week. Okay. Uh, because here are our talking points. The first thing we look at is the descendants of Noah and the prophecy of Noah, mm. um, which I did not go and follow this through, but it was stated, and I don't, I can't recall any reason not to believe it, that the prophecy of Noah was the first time any man prophesied. In Scripture, huh? How about that? Yeah, I have to think so, about that for a minute, but okay. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I've said things like that before, and then I go back and like, well, there's this one, but I'm just saying I read that. Well, and, but the point is, it is unique. Like typically, God has said this, and God has said that, and God foretells. But in this particular case, Noah, God through Noah pronounces this prophecy, if you will, this yeah. blessing and curse on his sons, and we'll see how. It relates to. I'm, I'm going to be hung on that for a minute. But I'm thinking of like Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied concerning. Like, well, I mean, a record, but of, it actually is written yes. out. In a, okay, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Well, I think you haven't even like mentioned said, the talking point itself yet. No, the talking point number one dealing with that is that character determines destiny. That's talking point okay. number one. Character determines destiny. Drawn from Sunday's lesson. Talking point number two: the Book of Genesis is not a fictionalized account. And really, I could have mm. said the Bible is not a fictional book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll see why I put that. And then okay. that is drawn primarily from Monday's lesson. Okay. And finally, number three, Babel embodies the futility of human ambition. 
And mm. that's the bulk of our lesson. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, I could put Friday because there are summary statements of Friday, but that's the gist of those those days. So those well, are there's going to be plenty things. to talk about in this week's Sabbath school. So let's go at it one by one. Character so, determines destiny. So let's go to Genesis 9. Again, we start in verse 18. And why don't you read um, uh, verse 18 through 24, 25. 9, 18 to 25. Yep. Okay. Scripture reads, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew his, what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And then, of course, he goes on to pronounce a blessing upon Shem and Japheth. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then it comes to and again, the death And again, Canaan may be a servant, yeah. Yes, and, and so some interesting things. In fact, I probably should read that. It says in verse 26, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And so what happens here, and, and some people would look at this and, and see it as a little harsh. Now, we don't have every detail of the story, but what we do see is a very stark difference mm-hmm. in the response of the sons to their father's nakedness. Mm-hmm. And... And what we, what the Bible's trying to show us here is there was a, la- a level of a lack of respect, certainly, uh, between Ham's conduct and between Shem and Japheth's conduct. Mm-hmm. And when Noah pronounced the curse, there's a temptation to think that it was an arbitrary ruling or some other thing, or even God being a, uh, what do I want to say, um, predestining him right. to some... Dis- like almost God is capricious, like this one's good and this one's bad, and he's kind of arbitrarily doing and things. And so I put in our notes, the curse of Ham reveals two things. Number one, that God knows the future. And number two, that character determines destiny. Mm. And and um, my sub-point is that God did not predestine Ham to failure, but brought to light how his lack of respect for his father, in contrast with his brother's actions, would lead to the demoralizing of his descendants. God mm. saw an element of character that he knew what it would look like when that thing was full-grown. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that can be said about that when we talk in the context of the great controversy or all the way through human history, how many times we look at the way God does something and say, man, I wouldn't have done it that way, and that seems so mean, and that seems so... Mm. When reality is God sees the end from the beginning, and he knows what that little seed's going to do once it's turned into a full-grown you know, harvest. Well, what's interesting, it made me think of this statement because Sister White comments on this experience, mm-hmm. and she refers to whatever Ham did, she calls it the, quote, unnatural crime of Ham. Yes. And she goes on to say, declared the fil- that filial reverence had long before been cast from his soul, and it revealed the impiety and vileness of his character. It was yes. a demonstration of character yes. and the stark difference between him and his brothers. And the reason I think this is important is because we know when we get down to the final conflict, we come to Revelation 13, we see the Mark of the Beast issue. When you study into that, it's really evident that it, it's not about a thing that people do, it's about the characters people have developed Mm -hmm. that predisposes them to the reaction. In Mm. other words, somebody says, well, I'm not going to get the mark of the beast. I'm faithful to God. And 
it depends on what your character is. Mm. And I always use the example of Peter. When Peter denied Christ, there was no intention. In fact, he had full intention of being faithful to Christ, but he didn't know himself. And mm. so his character predisposed him to a response he never saw mm. himself making. And in the same way, our characters will predetermine where we're going to go. It's not God who's forcing us in a direction. Notice this statement well, from, powerful. in fact, you've yeah. got it right there in the... Sure. Patriarchs and Prophets 118. The prophecy of Noah was no arbitrary denunciation of wrath or declaration of favor. It did not fix the character and destiny of his sons, but it showed what would be the result of the course of life they had severally chosen and the character they had developed. Mm. Now, adding to that is a statement from Education, page 108 and 109. Ellen White makes this point. She says, the harvest of life is character. Mm. And it is this that determines destiny, both for this life and for the life to come. The harvest is a reproduction of the seed sown. Every seed yields fruit after its kind. So it is with traits of character we cherish. Selfishness, self-love, self-esteem, self-indulgence reproduce themselves, mm. and the end is wretchedness and ruin. Yeah, that's a, it's a... That's a really heavy concept to think in, that God isn't just arbitrarily punishing and he's not favoring some people. He's honoring the results of the choices right. we make and they harvest in the life as character. That's right. And, and the way he intends us to read it in scripture is not to impugn these motives on him as God, but to say, you know what? God has said beforehand, mm. he said this is going to happen. And sure enough, we see that that's the outworking. Maybe God knows what he's talking about when he gives mm. us his moral instruction. Right. And so there's that. Now, one thing I want to add to that, though, is when you think about that and you look at, wow, character predetermines. In fact, I've mentioned to you before, there's a uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia. There's something called the Up series. And it's I think in the UK, Great Britain or somebody did this series where they took a uh, there's an old saying. In fact, it's been said to be a Jesuit maxim that if you show me a child. um Give me a child until he's seven, and I'll show you the man. Something like that. Mm. In other words, that that, that character formation is of character. fixed yeah. by seven years old. So they did this series where they've taken a group of kids from seven, and every seven years they've done a follow-up. And most of those kids have stayed in the series. It's fascinating. If this is not a from any, I don't think it's certainly a Christian not, thing. Yeah, certainly not. Bad, but but they're just can. looking at this if. And, and going down through the years, they see the same traits of character and how they've, they've you know, basically followed these people through. And you can almost say when they were seven years old, yeah, this one's going to end up being this and this one's going to end up being that. The good wow. news is there are a couple exceptions to that in the group. I would hope there's some good, because it feels like, man, I've got, you know, the, evil traits in me. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm done for. I'm way well, past and, seven. <laughs> and the point is that you character, as Ellen White says, determines destiny, but God can give victory over character traits. So character can change. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to, I don't want to belittle it and say, ah, oh, it really isn't true. No, character, those things that develop character, we see it in the life of him. That's why God puts it there. But it's interesting in that passage in, in Genesis 9 uh, that it told us, we pass it up again, blessed be the Lord, verse 26, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And what's interesting here is you, you see, of course, the Canaanites became subject to the sons of Shem, who were the Israelites and mm -hmm. faithful of God. But it also gave, we see many examples of those in those Canaanite regions and Gentile lands who were given opportunity to come in contact with the followers of God mm. to hear the gospel. So there's in that prophecy, at least it seems to me, a little looking forward to, even with that disposition of character, 
God is able to change our characters mm. and save to the uttermost, as we've been studying in the last quarter through the book of Hebrews. So that's Beautiful. talking point number one. Character determines destiny. Praise the Lord, God is able to change character. All right. <laughs> now let's go to talking point number two. The book of Genesis is not a fictionalized account. Do you think that there are people studying our Sabbath school lessons <laughs> right now who are like, I wonder if this whole thing is even true? Like, and it se- I guess coming from my perspective, that yes. seems to be a self-evident uh, non-starter. Like, of course it is. But... I wonder if there are people, even Christians, Bible-believing, Seventh-day Adventists yeah. even, who might say, like, well, I mean, there's some general truth in here, or there's some... Well, we have heard very specifically on the first 11 chapters of Genesis that they're mm. either at least figurative. Yeah. And so where I've drawn this from, and, I, and ironically, is it, the lesson doesn't spell it out like this. Well, it kind of does. But on Monday, it's all about genealogy. And it kind of struck me, I've never really processed it, but the lesson goes into why God gives these genealogies. Because you know, he could almost like a skip that part and go yeah, to the next part. You know, when part. you're doing, you're reading, do devotional reading yeah. and you come to Chronicles, the first many chapters like, in First Chronicles, right, like, we oh boy, we're going to play. I think I'll just skip past it. Yeah. So genealogies is one of those things. So why does God include the genealogies? Well, the lesson gives three reasons, and I've outlined them here or repeated them here in the handout. Number one, to show us the Bible is... Uh, a real history of actual people. Okay. In other words, you 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 know, it, and we were talking as we prepared for this. At first, I was going to say it would be awful hard. No, it would be downright impossible to fictionalize the genealogies in the Bible, because mm. you don't only have them in Genesis; you have them throughout the Bible, and they all have to meet together somewhere. Mm. And while there may be some gaps, let me get into reason number two. Reason number one is to show that the Bible is a real history of actual people and events. Mm-hmm. And so you have the recorded histories, and they fit with mm-hmm. his- The second reason is to provide a continuous and contiguous, means y- no gaps they come in up it, change, yeah. timeline. In other words, there's a consistent timeline. Now, I'm not saying there's no gaps anywhere, but the point is there's enough in the genealogies where you could, you have to, they have to connect together, and they form You don't a have line. like a missing century or, yes. or millennium or even... Yes. Eon, if when you get. talk about the, the secret rapture theory and there's the gap theory that you mm-hmm. have this period of time and then there's 2,000 year gap somewhere. No, there's no gap. Contiguous means there's not a gap. Right. As a rule, you have, and again, I'm not saying there aren't, there may be little things, but mm-hmm. there's enough in the Bible, just in the genealogies, to show a continuous timeline. That and helps to your point, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, but go ahead. I'm trying to rein that in, by the way. I've been told I interrupt too much, or one of us does. I don't know what the problem uh, it's is. It's about time somebody told you that. <laughs> yeah, no, they're fair probably, enough. it's probably for me. But. Whatever. The point is that not only do the genealogies fit within Genesis, yes. but they go their overlap, they're woven into the rest of Scripture, too, which we know was written right. over 1,500 years right. with 40 different, By authors different authors in yeah. different languages, different continents. And so how could you possibly weave those storylines so perfectly from yeah, Genesis to Revelation? It's, just, it's, not, it's not just good writing on Genesis, but it then springboards all through the so rest of Scripture. So it's interesting. We, we could give reasons. The Bible's not. Genesis isn't a fictionalized account. The Bible's not a book of fiction. And there are all kinds of avenues we could take. But one avenue I never really have given a much, much thought to until this is, is genealogies. And mm. it's just interesting. There's one of those things we overlook, but it is a very strong, uh, it's a strong evidence, isn't evidence it? Yeah. to establish that the Bible is a real book Amen. about real people, real events, continuous, contiguous timeline. And finally, the reason the genealogies are given is to trace the results of sin from cause to effect. You, you see so that in, in the example of just in the example of Ham we were just talking about. Like mm-hmm. you can see God wants us to see that's yet another evidence he's giving us. I'm not just telling you this is wrong. Watch it. 
play out. Well, I'm especially, I'm looking forward to next week already when we're going to look at Abraham and Lot and, and we can see this leads to <laughs> yes. this leads to this. And it's so good that we don't just have one-off stories, and but we get to see what happens in the result. It's really right. cool. Now, the bulk of our lesson is dealing with that third talking point. Babel embodies the futility of human ambition. Of course, the story of Babel, you have, well, it's interesting. In fact, the lesson, let me see if I can, I can grab it here real quick. Uh, it makes the point in, I think it's Sabbath afternoon, yes. Sabbath afternoon talks about this line of, um, of God's followers and uh, says, uh, the second paragraph in the second sentence in the first paragraph says, The particular attention on Ham, the father of Canaan, introduces the idea of Canaan, the promised land, in anticipation of Abraham, whose blessings will go to all nations. However, the line is broken by the Tower of Babel. Now, I would challenge that simply by saying this. The line was broken before the Tower of Babel. And what we find is, in fact, Ellen White's very clear on this in the, I think I have a quote on it, actually, that the reason that the people settled in the land of Shinar is because those descendants of Noah who did not want to continue following God got so irritated mm-hmm, living among mm-hmm. the ones who did that they wanted to separate themselves. Mm. So the line was broken which pushed them into Shinar, which then turned to the building of the Tower of Babel. So the city, the tower, the whole thing was really just a manifestation of a break that had occurred before. That's yeah. right. In fact, why don't you read that, that first paragraph from Patriarchs and Prophets on the second page there. It says, As their numbers increased, apostasy soon led to division. Those who desired to forget their creator and to cast off the restraint of his law felt a constant annoyance from the teaching and example of their God-fearing associates. And after a time, they decided to separate from the worshipers of God. Huh. That's an entire lesson. I'm thinking you're, next week you're going to get into Abraham. We see that had to happen with Abraham. There are many of our viewers who had to make that decision when they decided to follow Christ. Mm. And there, there was that division. In the, there's some who are living in a home with a divided, and there, you, that's mm. there. We see it even in our churches. There are churches where there are people in the church who... Uh, there are some churches that are more Laodicean than others, and they just don't want to. And there's a division taking place. We call it mm. shaking in mm. Seventh-day Adventism. And so we see it all the way back. That's what mm. led them to the land of Shinar and then on to building this tower. So they get to the land of Shinar, and they decide they're going to come up with this. Uh, they're going to build this tower that reaches to heaven. Right. And the lesson highlights this in different places. Ellen White talks about it in Patriarchs and Prophets that there were some people— who just denied the existence of God, and they explained the flood by natural... They tried to explain the flood by natural, just like we have today. There sure. are people who are like, yeah, it's all natural. There are others who believed in God, but they didn't like him because they didn't think it was right that he destroyed the world in the flood. And that either way, they wanted to get away from God, and that tower was a way to basically escape the next flood. Mm-hmm. And to, Scripture says, to make a name for themselves. Mm. And so the building, they're pulling away from the believers of God, and they're going to make a name for themselves. Well, that's, in essence, another way of just saying they're putting themselves in the place of God. They don't need God. They're going to go and... Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about this. Because, you know, the Lord had commanded them to basically start it over with Noah, uh, as he yeah. did with Adam. Spread across the earth, fill it, multiply it, all the things. And here you see them doing the exact opposite of everything. He said, there's right. not going to be another flood, and I want you to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they're like... We doubt that there's going to be another flood, and we're going to stay right here. And they're basically, mm-hmm. their whole attitude that led to the tower yes. itself, like this. So the tower was simply a manifestation of character. It was yes. a, reveling, a revealing of what there was truly on the inside. Yeah, it, it was an intentional 
move not to scatter everywhere. They're like, we're not going to accomplish our means right. if we scatter. We're going to build our own city. And let's let make a name together. for ourselves, yeah. Listen to this on uh, Tuesday's, Tuesday's lesson. Looks like uh, paragraph two. It says, in short, the builders of Babel entertained the misplaced ambition to replace God, the creator. The memory of the flood surely must have played a role in their project. They built a high tower in order to survive another flood, were another to come, despite God's promise. The memory of the flood has been preserved in Babylonian tradition, albeit distorted, in connection with the construction of the city of Babel, or Babylon. Uh, this upward effort to reach heaven and usurp God will indeed characterize the spirit of Babylon, which we're going to get mm -hmm. to in a minute. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting here that they, they talk about the memory of the flood was preserved in Babylonian tradition with the Gilgamesh, you know, experience, mm -hmm. albeit distorted. One thing that's interesting is the whole Tower of Babel, they, 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 they took their twisted, distorted idea of God, and even in the worship of their gods, one of the things that brings up in Patriarchs of Prophets is they, they twisted God's... Um, they twisted the, 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 the sanctuary service mm. and began to offer sacrifices of their own children. Mercy. Right? And we've talked about this before, where their sacrifice, in, in, in God's system of sacrifice, it was to remind them what he was going to do in sending his son, mm. which was typified by the lamb. So it was, it was God appeasing humanity, mm -hmm. in a sense. And what you have is this spin Mm. on the whole sacrificial system where religion became a way to appease God. And we see this throughout the false religions of the world. We see it in false Christianity, and we see it, the roots of it here in Babylon. Well, it's so striking because I remember when we studied just a few weeks ago with Cain and Abel mm -hmm. that there was the two worshipers there, and the one, uh, Cain, brought the fruits of his own labor, and right. he didn't want the messy graphic lamb thing. Mm -hmm. But then you go here. You had the ba the Babel builders go the other direction, and they're literally sacrificing their children, yes. which is more than what God. You know what I'm saying? So they're either going to do less or more. But they ref both instances refuse to do the thing that God that's exactly told right. them to do. Check out that quote there from Patriarchs and Prophets, page one nineteen. Said so the whole undertaking was designed to exalt still further the pride of its projectors and to turn the minds of future generations away from God and lead them into idolatry. That was the whole purpose. Yeah, of the Tower of Babel. Interesting. And so you get to the point where, you, you know, the, the, the Bible says that God comes down and says, let us see what's going on here. And the whole thing is like, like, like he doesn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting. Of course, the lesson brings up several points on that, how God really is the one. He has to come down. Mm -hmm. We can't get up to him. He takes the initiative, kind of what we're talking about with the sacrifice there. We we can't appease God and get right. to God. We can't even, man doesn't even seek after God. The Bible says in Romans 3, God has to put that in our hearts. So God takes the initiative in salvation always, which is very different from the um, pagan, pagan ideas. view. Yeah. But it's interesting that as I was reading through Patriarchs and Prophets, and the lesson didn't bring this out, God's investigation was in response to the sincere prayers of faithful people he had living in the land of Shinar. And I'm going to read it here in Patriarchs and Prophets 123. It says, There were some among them, however, who feared the Lord, but who had been deceived by the pretensions of the ungodly and drawn into their schemes. Now keep in mind, hmm. these were people, they, we know they came away from those descendants of Noah who were faithful. So they weren't initially faithful, but they were, they were deceived, it says, into following this other group. We're going to go into China. We're going it's to build this tower. Yeah. And I guess through the course of time, you know, if you've ever been caught up and duped into something and it starts to dawn on you, like, what, what was am I, I doing here? Yeah. Right? 
For the sake of these faithful ones, the Lord delayed his judgments and gave the people time to reveal their true character. There's a character again. Yep. Yep. Those that feared the Lord cried unto him to interpose. Mm. And then it says, and then she quotes, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. So the Lord's coming down was not just to like, oh, they're so bad, I'm going to go to... Mm. That there were people within that who were crying out for justice and saying, Lord, where are you in all this? How are you going to yes. let this go? Like, so there was a responsibility on God's part to do something, to take action. That's right. And so sometimes we think God not doing something is showing mercy, but it could also be... Or think like, I'm not going to address something. That's the way I'm going to show that I'm graceful right. or gracious. But the Lord is both mercy and justice, yes. and he has a... He's got people calling out. Well, and it's interesting that it, I also think it's on it, on record for us so that we know that God is a personal God. Mm. You know, I mean, he didn't have to come down, but he did come down. And he displayed that he, he came down to investigate. He was like, well, God didn't know. He was way up there. No, he knew. But I like that. Well, you see the tie-in to the, to the faithful ones in Babylon because I believe, uh, again, under that third talking point that, Babel embodies the futility of human ambition, the account of this Tower of Babel lays the foundation for understanding the working of end-time Babylon. When you go to Revelation, you have Babylon. Babylon is depicted as a woman there and that great city, so it's tied to, but the woman represents a church. Mm. And without getting into all the details, it's interesting that, and, and I made the point, we made the point already, but I want to reiterate it here, that the same word that's translated Babel in the Old Testament is the very same word translated Babylon. The understanding is that Babylon was built on the ruins of that, and we talked mm. about it. So that's the Babylon connection Babylon is there. an extension, yeah. And we could go into the kingdom of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar, is this not great Babylon that I've built? And you see that same persistence. There's a spirit of Babylon yes, even that goes through the, it. Yes, the lesson brought out. And so some parallels, just as the builders of Babel attempted to make a name for themselves, so we know that end-time Babylon seeks to exalt herself above God, to make a mm. name for herself. The Bible says in Revelation 18.5, it finally reaches a point where her sins have reached unto heaven, kind of like the tower. Ah, such a fascinating play on words, yeah. And just as the languages were confused at Babel, this church, and the name Babel means confusion. Right. Uh, just as the languages were confused at Babel, this church's teachings are confused by her aspirations to worldly greatness, right? Mm. Just like they wanted to build a tower and get a name for themselves, the Bible says she fornicates with, commits fornication with the kings of the earth. She, she, this is a church and that she makes all the, the nations world. drink the wine of yes. that fornication. So right. the result of mingling Christianity with worldliness mm-hmm. just distorts and confuses, right? And yes. so you have the confused doctrines that come through. And then, uh, incidentally, I have to bring this up. I know that I made the point that Babel means confusion. The lesson said it means the gate of God. There's some level of that in the Sumerian language, but the word Babel consistently, and you see it in the Bible, you see it in the spirit of prophecy, is always defined as confusion. Mm. And so at any rate, yeah, don't get you too, can do some too caught up in that. that yeah. And then finally, just as God had his faithful people in the land of Shinar, they prayed to him and he came down, so we know he has his faithful people in end time Babylon that need to be called out. Mm. And so we see those parallels. We're going to pick up on those a little bit next week. I love that the household of Ham, even though he's got a bad inertia yes. going forward and they've got, they've got the cards stacked against them, that's not, oh, it's still, still God allows them choice and can help that's develop exactly character. Right. Even inside of Babylon, the great enemy of God's people right. at the end, whether it's literal or symbolic Babylon, God has his people and he can He can change your character even if the cards are stacked against you and he can draw you out of Babylon if you're willing to go and follow his lead. Amen. Why don't you read that concluding point and that yeah. just ties this together. 
it's referenced on sun, Sabbath afternoon's lesson, but this isn't the word. Okay. It's just summary. Well, despite their attempt to avert the purpose of God by the building of the tower, God used that very means to scatter them abroad and fulfill his divine purpose. So as you had said, God had wanted to scatter them abroad, and they're like, no, we're going to build the tower, and we're going to come in, and yet God used that very means. And it's just interesting to see how God can take, you know, it goes back to Romans eight twenty eight. all things work all together things. for good to those who love the word. It doesn't say all things are to those who love the Lord. It doesn't say all things are good, but it does say work all things work for together. Good. God knows how to turn things to his purposes. Amen. And it's fascinatingly uh, illustrated in this story. Oh, you got to land that point this week in Sabbath school. That they, they read some rough stuff about you know the, 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 the descendants of Noah and even these Babylon builders. But even through all that, God can work miracles and change Amen. lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these lessons. Thank you for the stories in Scripture. And thank you that they are applicable in our lives today. Lord, help us, even if we might have, uh, through, through nature or nurture or our own choices, developed habits and traits of character. We know that you are still powerful to change those and make us into your image. And if we are living in Babylon, we can still come out and be part of you and your great movement. So, Lord, please bless every student and teacher this week. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.